0: Guys, this is big. This is really, really big, guys. We have people from all around right now, simultaneously spending time in the reading of the word from different time zones, different areas around the world. This is big. We got Georgia in the house. We have Oklahoma in the house. We got Montreal in the house. We have Alabama in the house, Houston. We have Brussels in the house. We have London in the house. We have Boston in the house. We have Italy. We have South Africa. We have Brandon, Florida, Atlanta, Trinidad, Queens, Atlanta, Amsterdam, Roanoke, Houston, Virginia, Montreal, Charleston, West Charlestown, West Virginia. We have Toronto. We got London, South Africa. Guys, we have people from all around the world. The Philippines, Delin, Florida. We have Jamaica in the house. We have Guys, we have people from everywhere, everywhere who are attending right now. Barbados in the house. That's awesome. Oklahoma, Georgia, guys, we we've got the whole world in the palm of our hands. Quite literally, Um, we're spending time together in the reading of the word. This is exciting to me. This just this lights me up. We got Miami in the house. That's what's up. Amsterdam, Montreal. We got a lot of folks from Montreal who are here today. Uh, man Carlos man I want to pray for you brother I want to pray for you you're a chef and part of a major world contest man we want to pray that uh, we want to pray the Lord's success over you and uh, the great calling that he's given you to step into those fields and into that sphere of influence so we want to pray for you too brother Uh, South Africa we got London we got Jamaica a lot of folks from London here Um, London is one of my favorite places in the world to be. So I I love London. I love London. Um, So guys, this is it. Uh, We're here to engage in the word. Uh, This is the read and rant. Okay. Essentially what I do is I spend 20 to 30 minutes reading the word and then I spend another uh, 20 to 30 minutes ranting. And if time affords us, we spend some time in prayer as well. Um, we just go as the spirit leads us. Uh, Sydney in the house. That's what's up. We got Australia in the house, y'all. So this is awesome, guys. This is incredible that we have people from all around the world gathering here to spend time in the word. And so I don't want to uh, belabor the time. I want to get right into it. I just believe that the Lord wants to do something special today as we engage in his word. Something incredible always happens when we engage in the word of God from a receptive meditational posture. When we read this word as a spiritual text, not just an intellectual text, but we read this word as a spiritual text, powerful things can happen. Um, This word is food for our spirit. It is food for our spirit. And so we, we read the word and what I'm teaching you as you read along with me is I'm teaching you to ask three questions as you pray and read through the word. You're going to ask these three questions. First question you're going to ask is what is God revealing concerning himself? What is God revealing concerning himself? Saying or revealing concerning himself. What is God revealing concerning people? People. And you can get more specific, his people. And what is God revealing concerning me? That is, what is God revealing concerning you? These are the three questions that I want you to be reflecting on, uh, ruminating on as we engage in the word. Uh, And man, I I mean, it's incredible. That's right, Regina. Like, it's incredible uh, to see people from different time zones. I have people from the West Coast, the East Coast, Australia, literally on the other side of the planet who are here uh, engaging with us in the word. So let's dig right in. Let's get right into it. Uh, Father, we ask that you would Speak to us today. Lord, speak to us today. Lord, as we engage in your word, we pray that you would reveal to us, Lord, new insight about who you are, about your character. Reveal to us insight about who we are relationally and and reveal to us, Lord, the issues of our heart. Lord, shape us, form, form us, conform us in Your image. Lord, lead us that we may, in the end, glorify You. Lord, be lifted up, be glorified as we read Your word and we say that in Jesus' name, Amen. Let's dig in. Let's get right into it. Um, Genesis one. For those of you who who have been. Keeping up with us, we've now read through the entire New Testament. We did that in in just under 12 weeks. And today, we're not starting on a Monday. We're actually starting on a Friday. Today, we start the Old Testament. That's exciting, y'all. We get to start the Old Testament, and we're going to read through the entire Old Testament. And if you've been with us from the beginning, you can say with confidence that you have read now. From Genesis all the way to Revelation, word for word, all the way through. Um, and so that's what we came here to do. All right, that's when we—that's what we came here to do. All right, yeah, the Old Testament is going to be some work. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Also, uh, one thing I want to say uh, before I read, uh, I am carving out some time, probably if not next week, the week after. Cause I know you guys had a lot of questions about revelations or revelation. Um, I'm going to devote maybe some, one of the afternoons, probably it's gonna be probably a Thursday afternoon where we'll probably do like a one to two hour Bible study on revelation. And essentially what we're going to do is we're going to decode the entire book, we're going to decode revelation, um, But you're going to see now, now that we're going to the Old Testament, this is a cheat code because we've already read the New Testament. And so now you're going to see how the New Testament um, gives light to everything we read in Revelation. Uh, Revelation is the climax of the gospel story, not the fading end of the gospel story. So we're going to we already kind of cheated because now we know how all of this ends. Now we're going to go to the beginning. So let's read. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus, God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth And the gathering together of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years and let them be for lights in the firmament. So the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So evening and morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, Let the birds multiply on the earth. So the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to its kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food and it was so. Hmm. Then God saw everything that he made and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from earth and watered the whole face of the ground. Mm. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the garden, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellum and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hidakel. It is the one that goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is Euphrates. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden to tend it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him out of the ground. The Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see that he would to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. Hmm. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken out of the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man and Adam said this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh and they were both naked and were not ashamed Genesis 3, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You will not surely die for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eye and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the servant, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree, which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake and toil. You shall eat of it and you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And Adam called his his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing... <clears throat> sorry. Verse 22, then the Lord God said, Behold, this man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed the cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. Chapter 4 Now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. And she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Cain also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Hmm. Now, Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. (laughs) So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, you shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. He built a city and called the name of that city after the name of his son Enoch. And Enoch was born Arad and Arad Mahujael and Mahujael begot Methusel and Methusel begot Lamech. Then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwelled in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal; He was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute. And as for Zillah, she also bore Tubal king, an instructor of every craftsman of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventyfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. (laughs) And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enoch. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. I'll read this last chapter, chapter 5. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he created him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 140 years. Sorry, 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years old. And he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all of all the days Enosh were 905 years and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalalel and after he begot Mahalalel, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalalel lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years old and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. And the days of Jared were 962 years and he died Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah and after he begot Methuselah Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters so all the days of Enoch were 365 years Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him Methuselah Lived one hundred and eighty-seven years and begot Lamech. After he begot Lamech, Methuselah lives seven hundred and eighty-two years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were nine hundred and sixty-nine years old, and he died. Lamech lived one hundred and eighty-two years and had a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, "This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands, because." of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old. And Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ah. (laughs) Um, Genesis. We are in Genesis. Um, There's so much here to unpack. There's so much here to unpack. Um, So we're not here. So we're not going to do a Bible study specifically. But there's some things that I believe that the Lord is speaking into. Me this morning as I'm reading for those of you who are here for the first time this is the reading rant every morning. We spend time in the reading of scripture. Um, We spend 20, 30 minutes and the purpose for spending 20, 30 minutes. The purpose of that is so that you can read through the scriptures yourself. This is to empower you to read through the Bible. If you are here for the first time, this is a good time to be here because we just read through the whole New Testament. Now we're starting the Old Testament, Genesis. So you get to start from the beginning. And this would be an interesting journey for you. And I truly believe that this would be transformative for you as you spend time in the reading of the word. So I want to encourage you to join us in this journey because we're going to read through the entire Bible. So for the next few months, we're going to spend 20, 30 minutes on weekdays. Okay, not every day, just on weekdays. Reading the word because it's a powerful, powerful discipline and it's a powerful activity in and of itself, just spending time in the reading of the word. Now, for those of you who are here, I know you're here for this one, this reading, but if you ever miss um any of the readings, I want to encourage you to uh the font every the font everywhere is a Facebook group that we created. People are community there, praying for each other there, encouraging each other there. But the font everywhere is also a place where you can get the read and rants if you ever miss it. Because what I do is, is I'll read and then afterwards I'll rant in regards to whatever the Lord is revealing to me that day. Um, I don't have anything planned specifically. This isn't a Bible study, but this is a reflection on community. Yes, the Facebook community is amazing. It's becoming this amazing community that peop- of people who are... Praying for each other, encouraging each other, um, sharing in life and stories, and and that's what we want it to be. So yeah, you can catch the reading rants there as well if you ever miss them. But also, you get, you get a chance to be a part of that community. So we want to encourage you. It's called the font, the font everywhere, um, and you can catch all the previous reading rants as well because I am um um I'm going on this journey with you guys to empower you, and so um, you can catch all the reading rants there. Um, So, yeah, so for the next about 20, 30 minutes, I just want to give some reflection on um, what the Lord is speaking into this morning as we read this word. To give uh, a recap or an understanding of what's happening here. I think Genesis, in the same way that Revelation is one of the most misappropriated misread text in the Bible. Genesis is also one of those misappropriated misread books in the Bible. Uh, Genesis is obviously a critical book because it speaks into the beginning of all things. Or does it? (laughs) And Revelation is a critical book because it speaks to the end of all things. Or does it? For those of you who were here for Revelation, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, that Revelation is really about the revelation of Jesus Christ and not the end times. Even though people kind of present it that way. Not the end times as you've heard, like the rapture. and you know, Let's decode what the scripture is saying about what's going to happen. It was about what already happened and how it reveals Christ. Genesis is also about the revelation of Christ. And we'll explain what I mean by that. There's a lot to unpack here, but Genesis is also, it's a slow build into the revelation of Christ. But remember what Jesus said. Jesus said that all scripture testifies of him. Meaning meaning all scripture points to him. All scripture gives testimony of him. So if we understand that, the question is, is now where's Christ in the text? Where's Christ in the scripture? What is really being said here? What is the scripture really talking about? The biggest mistake that I find that a lot of uh, Christians make when they read the Bible or when they read Genesis or Daniel or some of those other books that you guys are familiar with, one of the mistakes that a lot of believers make is they read the scripture from their cultural lens so if you're Jamaican you you read the scripture from your Jamaican lens if you're Haitian you read it from your Haitian lens if you're you know if you're English then you'll read the scriptures from an English lens if you're Scottish you read the lens from scripture from a Scottish lens if you're African um let's say you're South African you read the scripture from an uh, 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 an African lens. If you're European, you read the scripture from a European lens. If you're Asian, you'll read the scripture from an Asian lens. Um, all those are wrong ways to read the scripture. Okay. If you're reading the scripture from any, through those lenses, you're already reading the scripture wrong. You have to read, and I can't emphasize this enough. You have to read the Bible from, if you're going to study it at least, from a Hebrew lens. You have to read it from a Hebrew lens. And this is why it's important to learn Hebrew culture. I know I'm not doing a Bible study all the way through. I don't want to do, I just want to give you this preface. Okay. Cause I don't have enough time to do a Bible study on Genesis, but I'm saying this to say to you that you have to read the scripture from a Hebrew lens because when you read it from a hebrew lens then you'll understand what the scripture is actually saying did you know that it's because of our cultural lens that we argue about what genesis is about do you see the hebrews arguing about genesis not even the not, not even the the other middle eastern that the middle eastern um muslims argue about what genesis is about We're the ones who argue about Genesis about because we're reading it from the wrong perspective. For example, creation. Creation, the story of creation, when you read the creation narrative from an American lens or from a Western lens, you're going to have problems, (laughs) okay? There's gonna be problems. When you read it from a Uh, European lens you're going to have problems but if you read it from an Eastern lens there's no conflict here there's no confusion here the problem is how we read it that's the problem the problem is how we read it this is why you have people arguing so so when God created was it six days was it six literal days was it 24 hours was it, I mean, or is its is it 6,000 days? Because, you know, a day is a 1,000 years to the Lord. Was it 6,000 days? And so all of those things, just the very fact that you ask those questions tells you that you're not reading it right. Hey, Brent, man, you should have been here. If you missed all the revelation reason rants, then you missed it. Because it's not about the rapture. (laughs) Uh, Revelation is not about the rapture. So there you go. Go back and check them out on the face, on the font everywhere on Facebook. And you'll learn that it wasn't about the rapture. It was about Jesus. Um, but anyway, going back to what I was saying, when you, when you read it from a Western lens, you have arguments about, you know. How long was creation when God created it? What was the order? How did, how did, and so because of that. We're missing what the scripture is actually saying. Are you, are you, are you with me so, so, so far we're missing what the scripture is saying, he says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light and God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. Here, question ready? I'm going to I know this is going to throw some people off. I'm going to throw you all all over the place for a second and then we'll bring it all back. The earth was without form and void. Did the earth exist or did it not? Here in verse one. Was there earth or was there not earth? If it was without form and void, what does that mean? Was the earth, if it was there, was it empty? Or was it formless? What does it mean for it to be without form? And how does the spirit of God hover over the face of the waters unless there's water there? Or is it speaking in a spiritual sense? Is it speaking in a physical sense? What's going on here? And now if there is no earth, if there is no earth, catch me, family. Then how can it be 24 hours? Because 24 hours marks the rotation of the earth. Right? 24 hours is a length of time it takes for the earth to rotate. So if the earth has not rotated, then how can we denote the time? Unless God maybe have known the time. You see where all the questions are coming? So we ask all these questions. If God said let there be light, is the light the sun? Is it the big bang? What's going on here? Right? So what's happening? This is the problem. We're reading the scripture from a Western lens again. (laughs) And because we're reading it from a Western lens, we're asking actually the wrong questions. These are the wrong questions to be asking. They weren't asking those questions. Because that wasn't the immediate concern. What the the narrator is speaking about is not, oh, this this is going to bother some people. The narrator of the text is not here to describe to you the element and the nuance of how all things were created. That's actually not what Genesis 1 is about. Genesis one is a story of how God is bringing order to chaos. Genesis one is about how God is organizing things. Genesis one is not about the big bang. (laughs) Genesis one is not about seven-day, six-day creation. It's not about those things. This is why you have people who are arguing, but the Bible says this about that. But then but then the, the, the data tells us that, that, the, that, that the universe is billions of years old. So this makes no sense that the Bible would say that the world existed for 6,000 years because the Bible did not say that. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble now. It's going to get me in some trouble. What does the Bible say that the earth was 6000 years old? No, we tried to we tried to measure the earth as 6000 years old in order to make sense of a 6-day creation and then to take it from there and to take the narrative moving forward. So I'm going to submit this to you cuz we don't have enough time to break down this Bible. This is not a Bible study. So I'm not going to I don't have time to break this down to you, but I'll say this. The beginning here, you can say is 6,000 years. But we are not going to say here that creation began in this moment because the text was not about how the world was created. The text was about how God was bringing order and birth to chaos. Notice what's happening here. God is dividing light from the darkness. I was teaching this to my sons, um, maybe about a month ago, we were doing a, a, a devotion and a Bible study on Genesis. And I told them, and you know, I'm trying to help them understand. So I didn't want to give them too much. So I wanted to help them understand. And what I said to them is, is what you need to understand is that Genesis was about organization. Genesis was not about the creation of the universe. Genesis was about organization. And so the key word there is divide, divide, divide. First, God divides the light from the darkness. Then God divides the waters, the firmament from the waters. So he's creating atmosphere, dividing the waters. Then God divides the waters from the land. He's organizing. Then God divides the creatures from the waters, breathing life into them. Then God divides the animals, the creeping things from the land. Have you heard that dividing the light and the darkness is about Jesus and the devil? We're going to get there in a minute. I don't have enough time today. So so God is dividing. He's bringing order to chaos. When it says the earth was without form and void, he was literally saying the realm, the physical realm was in chaos. We are confused about that, but the Hebrews were not. Okay. They never argued. Was it so... So now was it 6 literal days? Was it? That wasn't the concern to them. They knew that he was dividing the time to show the order of how things were done in how he was bringing supernatural order to profound disorder. Why? Because God is bringing order to prepare to institute his rule on earth through a creature And so he says, let us, verse 26, make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. I did a I did a sermon not to maybe was it last week? I was preaching on this last week. So if you want to, you can catch that. But being made in the image of God is not what people have a, have, have asserted being made in, uh, in the image of God as. Ah, yes, Karen, you're asking good questions now. You're going to see answers to it as we move forward. If the world was in chaos, what brought it to chaos? <laughs> exactly right. You're going to see it. We're going to learn that later on. You're going to see it. Um, so what does it mean then to be made in the image of God? See, they understood image. We, When we think of image, we think, okay, we look like God, or we have God's personality, or we have God's intelligence, or we have creativity. And I was breaking this down for people that being made in the image of God can't be those things because if you're not creative, does that mean you're not made in his image? or it's our ability to speak and to communicate with each other, but animals can communicate with each other. So how does that make us different? Or or um, um, you'll hear people say, we're made in the image of God because the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter two, which you will read here, that he became a living soul or living being. The word living being there is nefesh, but the Bible describes the animals as nefesh. So it makes us different from the animals. Well, it's our intelligence because we're more intelligent when made in the image of God. Is it level of intelligence? So what happens when a child is born with um, sub-animal level intelligence? Is that person still made in the image of God? Does that? Are you, are you catching me here? And so, family, we have to first back up And this is all for me to say, as we begin to read the Old Testament, we need to back out of our small Western ideologies that we're trying to impose on the scripture and to read the scripture for what it says from a Hebraic lens. Some, yeah, some pastors have said that Adam and Eve is a parable. I really have tr- have trouble wrapping my head around that. Yeah, well, the reason why they're saying it's a parable is because they can't make sense of it. Adam and Eve doesn't make sense when you're reading Adam and Eve from a Western lens. But if you read it from an Eastern lens, you know exactly what that meant. And that's the problem. Some pastors are just, they're just trying to make sense of it and they can't. They can't. So when it says the Lord formed man of dust and ground breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, it would seem that a nefesh is anything that's living and breathing. So then what does it mean to be made in the image of God? I'm going to make it really, really short. Um, How do we read from a Hebrew lens? First of all, just let go of your lens and ask the Lord to begin to speak through you and to you. I'll help guide you through that as well. But what I'm saying is, is we need to back out of that. So for me, I'm not here to do the Bible study more than I'm here to say, dismantle the way that you've been reading. Okay? Dismantle the way that you've been reading. So then what does it mean for humans to be made in the image of God? Hmm. Image is not about... Um, an ability that you have because as I mentioned before you take away that ability then are you still made in the image of God and 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 this goes for those who even have like let's say a pro-life argument like a pro-lifer and this goes against a pro-choicer as well but a pro-lifer is going to say that well this human is made in the image of God but then when they define what it means to be made in the image of God, you go, how can that human? be, how can that be a human? If being made in the image of God is, is intelligence and ability. And if those things are what define you as a person made in the image of God, then when a sperm meets an egg, it's a blob of cells. Is it in the image of God or does it have to wait until it has a brain to be made in the image of God? At what point does that does that zygote become? Human, they'll say, well, at the point of conception. So if it is at the point of conception, then it cannot be then our intelligence. Because I have not heard an intelligent zygote. I don't know of an intelligent zygote. And it can't be because they have the potential to be human, that that's what makes them made in the image of God. If that zygote is made in the image of God in the moment that that sperm meets the egg, then, then there's something else there. Okay. There's something else there and that is what we have to speak into. That's what we have to make sense of. Don't worry. This is going to, I'm just right now. I'm just dismantling everything that you believe. I want to dismantle a lot of what you have believed. For those of you who are uh, familiar with the book of Genesis, I'm here to dismantle all of it for you. Okay? So that way, you're you're kind of emptying yourself to really hear what the book of Genesis is all about. The word image is uh, more appropriately seen to be something that you do in a status that gives you the ability to do that. It speaks to the fact that we are called To be representatives of God on earth. To be made in the image of God is not about an ability, but it's about a status. It's about a God given status. You understand? It's about a God. I'm so encouraged by that, Sherry. It's about a God given status that you have not an ability, but a status. It's a status that you get to operate in based off of the license that you've been given. It's a license. So to be made in the image of God is for God to delegate his authority and his rule on earth. you understand his authority and his rule on earth that's what it means to be made in the image of God so God is exercising his authority and rule on the earth through human beings people go why did God do that because he decided to he decided to god decided to extend himself on earth through humans <laughs> you understand so 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 god who created the earth and created this world says i will rule this world but i will rule it through human beings You know what the word human is? The word human, it literally means to be spirit in dirt. Humus, to be spirit in dirt. God breathed into man, meaning God inserted himself into his creation through humans. alright, let me I feel like I'm going to go Bible study mode here but just just just, just stay with me for a second when he says in Genesis 1 verse uh, 26 through 27 which is quite easily one of the most powerful verses in the Bible then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness then God said let us That sounds plural, doesn't it? The word God here in the scripture is Elohim. Then Elohim said, let us, sounds plural, make man in our image. That sounds plural. According to our likeness, plural. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fish of the air. So God created, so God, now he says Elohim again created man in his wait that sounds singular are y'all are you guys reading what i'm reading there verse 27 so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them this is going to really bother some people it's going to bother some people but i'm going to go ahead and break it down for you creation was done by a singular being. Elohim created man in his own image. This is where we get all convoluted with our Trinitarian doctrine. Our Trinity, our Trinitarian doctrine is very small. It's very small because we're not aware of what's happening in the realm of the spirit. Yes, there's a trinity, but here there's a singularity that's doing the creating. And when he says, let us make man in our image, he seems to be including the Elohim in the participation of what he's creating. Later on, and this was a, this was a, this changed my life, to be honest with you. And I'll share it with you guys. But what changed my life about this verse is when I began to study this verse. And I looked at the word Elohim and I did a search on the word Elohim and I saw the multiplicity of places that the word Elohim is used in the Bible. To learn that the Elohim was simply the beings that existed in the invisible spiritual realm. And among the Elohim is Elion, who is God. So our Trinity exists, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. However, in creation, this was a participation of all the Trinity. Don't worry. Not just the Trinity, but of all the spiritual beings. And he, Elion, the most high of the Elohim, who is Elohim, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is, is very weird for us. That's right. That's right, Painter, Yahweh. Yahweh created the heavens and the earth. Have you seen the Hebrews define Yahweh as, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? No. Yahweh is associated with El Elyon, the Most High. And the scriptures tell us, and I'm sorry, I'm going into Bible study mode, but let me just do this real quick. Um, in Psalm, oh goodness, Psalm 46, Psalm 64. I got to pull it up. Where he describes Elion as the most high of the Elohim. We're the ones who confuse this. Yahweh is the most high of the Elohim. And Yahweh says... Let us make man in our image. The Elohim are participating with him in wonder and glory of what God is creating. God is creating a new dimension of reality. And this new dimension of reality is what we know now as the physical realm. It's length, width, depth, the X, Y, and Z coordinates. What we now know is flesh and blood, the physical reality. God created a new realm and on earth, he inserted himself into it through mankind. The Elohim isn't just the trinity. We'll get there. You're going to see all the Bible. You're going to see scripture. Maybe I'll do a maybe I'll do a Bible study on just God and the Elohim. The Trinity is among the Elohim. God, Yahweh is among the Elohim being the most high of the Elohim. And when you understand the Elohim now you're going to understand the profundity of Jesus and why the name of Jesus is great, and why and how it is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, and how Jesus himself is God, and that he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. <laughs> Just try to be Christian, (laughs) y'all. I'm not trying to just be doctrinal and try to put human constructs of God. We we, we try to box God. And so we say things like He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and that's it. Three persons in one. And we're trying to make something that doesn't make sense, make sense. Okay. Yes, study Elohim, Jason. Study Elohim. If you want to just go through the Bible, look at every word, look e- look at all the places that the word Elohim is used in the Bible. It's used for spiritual beings, those who are inhabitants of the spiritual realm that have been given divine jurisdiction. And so now you have Elohim And now God has created humans. So now he's created the, so you have the Elohim and you have humans. The Elohim have been given divine jurisdiction in the spiritual realm. Humans have been given divine jurisdiction on earth. Y'all catching me? And that's why he says, be fruitful and multiply. Because what he wants to do now is to multiply himself on the earth. Okay. All right. Let me help you out. Let me help you out. I I hope this isn't like, this might seem hooky and crazy and all out of there. It does to us. It doesn't, not to the Hebrews. If you spoke to a Hebrew in this time about what I'm saying, they're going to go. Yeah what's the problem here? They understood that. When you understand that now, you understand what Eden is. Eden was not just a physical location. Eden was a status. That's why you'll never find Eden on earth because Eden was the status in the place by which the Lord made residence on earth. And he chose the location, a location to do that. But now, being that he has put himself in man, breathe his spirit in man, he breathed into him, meaning his seed in man. When he put his seed in man, wherever man is, Eden is. Because it's the full manifestation of God's glory on earth. And so the garden of Eden was a specific location, but it was what it was for this because again, man was in perfect communion with God. Now, I don't know. I'll just stay here. I know this is a lot and I only have a few minutes. We won't have as much time to pray, but I wanted to make sure I break this down for you. So, So now, if you understand this, okay, if you understand this. Yes, the Elohim was a council. That's right, Adrian. The Elohim is a council of God. It's the council. It's the divine council of God. Okay, so now, so you've got Eden where man now is the council of God on earth. Once the Lord created on the seventh day and he look what it says. And on the seventh day, he ended verse two, Genesis two, verse two. It's too many, too much to to say here in Genesis two, verse two. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made on the seventh day. He rested. He was done. (laughs) From here on out, his rule and anything he does on earth would be done through humanity, through mankind. Wow, we don't have enough time. Um, Anyway, I want to get to my point. (laughs) If God gave man authority, what kind of authority did he have? That's exactly right. He gave us power. What kind of power and authority did we have? We were literally the conduit between heaven and earth that God stood ruling the spiritual realm through the Elohim and the physical realm through human beings. And yet, because he rules through them as creation, he chose to give them choices, to make decisions. They were ambassadors of God. The Elohim are the ambassadors of God in the spiritual unseen realm. Human beings are the ambassadors of God on earth. And if anybody knows an ambassador's job is to speak and to act on behalf of the jurisdiction. So for example, the ambassador of the United States, the ambassador, let's say to the United Nations doesn't speak, speaks with full authority, but based off of the agenda of the authority that we've been given. So as an ambassador to the UN, he re, the ambassador, he or she remains in communication with the sovereign the president of the United States, the executive branch, and when they speak at the United Nations, they when they speak, the president is speaking. When they act, the president is acting. That's their job. Their job is to act on behalf of the president at the UN. If I am the ambassador to uh, France, I speak on behalf of the president. If I show up to the president of France's office, it's as if the president of the United States showed up. I speak on behalf of the United States. If I choose my own agenda over the United States agenda, and I get caught doing that, then what? I lose my ambassadorship. When Adam sinned and chose his agenda, Adam and Eve sinned and chose their agenda over God's agenda, then they lost their ambassadorship. And yes, like treason, (laughs) the penalty for an ambassador, who speaks on behalf of the United States and chooses their own agenda. The penalty is death. The penalty is death. Are you getting what I'm saying here? So what they lost was their ambassadorship and they committed treason against God in the same way that the demons who were ambassadors of God, chose their own agenda and their own glory. They fell from the grace of God. So we have lost our ambassadorship. The demons have lost their ambassadorship. Yet God did not insert himself into demons. They were extensions of him but God inserted himself into humans. And for his own sake, he chose a plan of redemption. (laughs) Are you catching this? So when God formed the garden, he put the man in the garden, but he actually didn't want the man to stay in the garden. He wanted the man to leave the garden, make kids and make them leave the garden because I want Eden to inhabit the entire earth. (laughs) I want Eden to inhabit the entire earth. This is the institution of God's kingdom on earth. How do we know that? Because he said, be fruitful and multiply. And he said, fill the earth. So his goal, his job wasn't for Adam to stay in Eden. He wanted Adam to multiply and fill the earth with Eden. I'm sorry. I know it sounds more like a Bible study, but I feel like it's encouraging to you because what I want to do is I want you to understand who you are and to know the profound authority that you have. When Adam was, I noticed that when Adam sinned against God, do you understand that God did not run from Adam? You understand that God didn't leave Adam? Do you understand that Adam was the one who hid from God? You you, you understand that, right? That Adam, because he has now seen a reality in which he knows good and evil. And the travesty of it is that he had all authority and he let the devil tempt him with something that he already had. And even though Adam and Eve had all authority, Adam sinned against God and then Adam saw Eve and we begin to see the consequences of what happens when we aren't operating on a authority, on the authority of God. Notice what happens to Adam. Adam hides from God when he sins and God says to Adam, where are you? He says, Adam, where are you? Oh, my goodness. How much of Adam do we have in us? Where when we sin against God and we make these mistakes and we know God's agenda and we know we didn't fulfill God's agenda, that we go hiding from God. since the garden God has been looking for Adam he said Adam where are you? God has been seeking after Adam from the beginning but Adam keeps running you know I've learned that shame is often the most prideful thing that you could have Shame is a prideful feeling. What do you mean, Pastor? What do you mean that shame is prideful? Shame is prideful because shame makes us choose for ourselves something that the person that we should be ashamed, that should be ashamed of us, should choose for us. Shame is a prideful emotion. It's a prideful feeling. It says, I choose how I feel about myself more than what the person who loves me chooses to feel about me. Shame makes us hide. Shame makes us hide from the people who are looking after us. Shame makes us hide from God when God is the one who's looking for us. Shame makes us choose our own punishment. We choose to be away from God. God never chose to be away from us. Shame is prideful. Shame says, I don't like the way I look to myself. I don't like my image of me. And even if God says to me that I still have chosen you and you are my child, we choose to hide. Adam had God's DNA, God was in him. And from the beginning, God knew what he would do. And God came with a plan of redemption, Uh, but Adam was hiding. Shame makes me feel myself so much. That's what shame is. Shame is just me feeling myself so much that I choose to do things my way and to feel my way about whatever it is I've done because I like a version of myself that I have yet to see myself meet up to. And so what I'll do is, is I'll cover up because that's what shame does. Shame makes us cover up because even though we know deep down inside what we are, we choose to be fake around people because we want to project better versions of ourselves to other people. Shame makes us want to blame shift and point to other people. Shame makes us want to bring people down. Even though we've been redeemed in him. Shame. Makes us hate the people who we want to love. Shame. Shame is one of the most destructive emotions that exist. Shame is a lie. Shame is the lie that you have told yourself. Shame is the deception of the enemy. That says I've chosen my own judgment from myself more than the person who has jurisdiction to judge me. Shame makes me choose to be alone. Shame makes me choose to be separate. Shame makes me hate myself. When God still loves me and shame makes me choose myself hate over God's love. Shame is prideful. Shame says I choose for myself what I want from myself more than the person who loves me. And shame is the reason why a lot of us can't truly come to God. Uh, Because we don't like the versions of us. And often what happens is, is that we choose to come to God when we're okay with the version of us that allows us to come to God. So we're a lot like Adam. We hide. And we're a lot like Adam and Eve. Where we hide from each other. Cover ourselves up. We're a lot like Adam and Eve. Where we'll point. When we finally have to address God. to Point to the other person. When we know deep down inside. There's something wrong in our souls. That we've done something wrong. Shame is a liar. Isn't it funny how. Adam and Eve chose to cover themselves up. With leave. And yet God then covered them up with cloth, with skin. Meaning for God to have covered them up, something had to have died. God chose to kill something to cover them up. Can't cover something with skin unless you kill it. Isn't it funny how even though Adam and Eve sinned, that once Adam fessed up, that God didn't come for Eve or Adam first, he came for the serpent that deceived him. Isn't it funny? How when you look at the text in Genesis chapter three, that it wasn't Adam he went to first. It wasn't Eve he went to first. He went to the serpent first. He actually punished the accuser and the tempter. God was in the business of restoring his image on earth. I, I don't think we, we fully get that. God's trying to restore his image he says and he, you'll see this all throughout the, the the Old Testament he says he says he says for my name's sake God is selfish in his selflessness can I say that again like God is selfish in his selflessness he's saving you selflessly for his glory. Like he's sticking out his neck for you because his name is on you. God is literally protecting his name when he saved you. God was restoring his name when he saved you. He was restoring his bloodline. He was restoring you that you may be restored in him. Even your salvation wasn't about you. Like he didn't save you just for you. He saved you for himself. And yet we like to just creep up in our own little corners and be ashamed. You know, I just feel bad. I feel bad. And God's legit going, oh my goodness, do you not get this? You have been made in my image. I need you to get it together and let me fix it. God's doing all this for his own glory, y'all. You know, the people who have said this, uh, like, why would God do this for me? Saying, like, God died on the cross for me. Why would God die on the cross for me? Why would he give his life for me? Why would he do something like that? He's good all by himself. God is doing it because he put his name on you. And the scriptures say he put his name above himself. And because he puts his name above himself, God was in the business of restoring the bloodline because he was in the business of restoring his identity on earth. He did this selfishly, selflessly, selflessly. He was selfishly selfless. You know what's funny? You know what's funny about the scripture? In Genesis chapter 2, I'm sorry, I'm ranting, I'm ranting. And I got to go. It's almost 9.30. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, it says that they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Did you see that? They were both naked and unashamed because they were in the presence of God, fully exercising the dominion and authority that they were given on earth. They were the representatives of God. The issue wasn't their nakedness. They were naked and unashamed. But the moment that they sinned, they chose their self-projected images of themselves over what God had instituted them to be. Shame makes you look at yourself in a way that you would believe that the person who's looking at you doesn't like what they see. Shame, isn't a fo- shame is a form of imagination. Shame says, I don't like the version of me and I believe that other people see me the way that I'm seeing myself. They were naked, but they were unashamed. The next chapter, they're naked and ashamed. Their status was the same, but now they had shame and they covered up. Shame makes me choose my version of myself that I don't like over the version that God has created me to be. And if there's anything that is killing society today and killing our culture today is shame because shame comes off as pride. Shame is prideful. So we act like we don't need nobody because we can't face the reality of what we believe we look like. But what does Romans say in Romans chapter eight? He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God covered them up. He covered them up. So now they have no need to be ashamed. God wants to restore your identity. God has been in the business of restoring your identity because his image, you, his mandate, you are the image of God. And he gave an image. In Colossians, it tells us that he is the image of the invisible God. Then then the scriptures also tell us that we are to be clothed with Jesus. Put on Christ. Notice whose skin you have on you now. Under that skin, Adam and Eve is naked. But with that skin, Adam and Eve is covered. And we're all covered. So you don't need to come to God with shame. You come to him boldly before the throne of grace. You come guilt free because he's already paid the price for all your sins. You are free. You're covered. That's my word for you today. You're covered. You're covered. God is restoring his identity on earth and he's doing it one person at a time. By the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. One person at a time. And when you begin to understand that God has made you in his image, then you can fully receive and understand how you can actually receive the grace of God. It didn't make sense to you. It will make sense when you know that God is in you, you have his DNA. You have his DNA. You have his DNA. Family, you have his DNA. You have his DNA. Brenum, you have his DNA. Spiritual Angel, you have his DNA. Doris, you have his DNA. Kate, you have his DNA. Nina, you have his DNA. He has covered you. Cheryl, you have his DNA. Jason, you have his DNA. Avi, you have his DNA. Joelle, you have his DNA. You are his DNA. Son, you are his daughter. And when he restores himself in you, he gives you dominion. (laughs) Praise God. Um. I have so much I would want to say here. But I want you to know that God is establishing his rule on earth. Let me say that again. He's establishing his rule on earth. His kingdom come, his will be done. I'm going to listen. I'm going to beat this in. I'm going to beat this in. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh my goodness. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He established, his business was to establish his kingdom on earth, that his will would be done and that he would do it through humanity. That's why Jesus said that the kingdom of God is in you. (laughs) Jesus, has been in the business of doing this from the beginning. Yahweh, Elohim, came to do this from the beginning. I know a lot of you have other questions. um. So I'm gonna throw some provocative things at you and then we're gonna close with prayer. I'm gonna throw some things that may sound a little bit provocative, okay? Remember, when you read it from a Western lens, you see now how if you read the scripture in Genesis one, as if it's the beginning of all things and simply that you miss out on what Genesis is actually teaching. The the the. um, The book of Genesis is about so much more. It's about so much more. And when you understand that, then you can reconcile some questions that you have. I know some people right now. I don't know if anybody messaged it, but some of you should have asked questions like, where did Cain find his wife? Where did she come from? <laughs> Hope somebody asked that. Where did Cain find his wife? Where did she come from? Right? How did, how did King start? Where, where the wives wives of Lamech come from? Like, well, what's going on there? Oh, you guys did ask, okay. Where do the wives of Lamech come from? I know this isn't a Bible study, but I'm going to throw something at you. If you read the text, not as a day to day contemporaneous text, where it was day one, day two, day three, day four, and then you read Genesis three as if it was day five but rather hundreds of years. Millennia. Then you'll see how Lamech could find a wife. Um, so short answer is, is because Adam and Eve weren't the only ones. That's correct. <laughs> What made the world so chaotic? Because it did not have the, because the Lord did not rule. We're gonna talk about that. The Lord did not rule on the earth till he breathed into Adam, till he gave Adam his spirit. Okay? You understand that other uh Anthropods existed, right? Oh gosh, that's gonna get really weird. I don't wanna get weird. I don't wanna get weird, family. I don't wanna get weird. I don't wanna get weird. <laughs> but it's not. It's weird to us, but it's not weird to them. In science, it isn't weird. Is it? Is it is it weird that there were other um, um anthropods on the earth? There, there, there were Neanderthals. Were there not? Right. There were other creatures who stood on two feet and walked the world. Walked the world. And the other thing, um, I know I'm, I'm, I'm closing, but. I mean, <laughs> Vanessa just said you're getting weird. My wife just told me you're getting weird, Isaac. <laughs> Stop getting weird. Where the dinosaurs come from? Yeah, look at all those questions. Where the dinosaurs come? Oh God, I just started something. I just started something. The Nephilim. Who are they? Oh my goodness. Oh man, it just got. weird. <laughs> uh, right. Because we 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 only want to believe that. The earth is the only place that inhabits life, right? We, we like to think that at least Christians who think small-mindedly like to think that human beings are the, like, that the earth is the only place where there is life (laughs) or, or, um, yeah, keep going the giants. What about Lilith? Oh gosh. I just started a whole, I just started, I just started, oh man. Oh goodness. Oh man. Um, Karen, when Satan fell made the world chaotic? Yeah, cuz when did Satan fall? Like like when did that happen? We read it in we read it in Revelation actually. I told him that Satan came to earth and wreaked havoc on earth. Satan just get kicked out of heaven and just show up. I'm going to say something provocative. I'm going to throw provocative stuff out there. I, I might delete this from the read and read because this is going to get really weird. But I'll throw some really provocative things to you guys. Um, what if I'm going to throw a bunch of what ifs? Okay, I'm here to dismantle everything. Okay, what if Satan was on the earth? Way before he had a conversation with Eve. Huh. What if Satan was there? Ooh, here's a better one. Here's a better one. What if Satan and his angels were moving about the earth? The problem is they didn't have authority on the earth. And what if Satan needed to deceive Eve in order to get authority on the earth? What if I told you that? Adam and Eve gave Satan the power to do what he does now on earth. Oh, it got, it got really, really interesting. (laughs) You truly have God's name because (laughs) this is dismantling everything. Oh man, I'm throwing, listen. Oh man, I I see why you like Genesis now, Vanessa. I see why you got excited about me teaching Genesis. I can't teach Genesis. There's too much. There's too much. There's too much here. Um, but yeah, where did Lilith come from? Where, what are these, what's the city that Cain just got to go to and establish? Where did this come from? Stop thinking. Cause this is how, this is how most Christians like to think. They like to think creation, Adam. God gave him his spirit. Then after God gave him his spirit, he had Cain and Abel. And after he had Cain and Abel, then he had a couple other kids. Cain, and, you know, Cain obviously killed his brother Abel. Abel, Cain took off. And then we stop there. Cain took off and then you're like wait. So where did where did where did Cain's or where, where did Cain's where did Cain get get where's this Where did he find his wife? How did he start this whole, how did he start this whole thing? Like, how did he, how'd that happen? Like, do we ever do that? Like sit back and go back and go, wait, hold on a second. Wait, because we're reading it like Westerners. Easterners did not have a single problem with any of that because they knew that when the, the narrative of Genesis 1, 2, 3, and 4, was not about a chronology that we're familiar with in west in, in our Western perspective of thinking. And they also knew that this creation was not the creation of the universe, even though God did create the universe. Because, you know, God said, let there be light. And so we think, bang, there was light. <laughs> and then the sun and all this, boom, just happened. No. okay um Shannon she said when I try to explain this to people they look at me funny and this is the, the Shannon don't get started she said this is the small stuff listen if you read Genesis the right way it gets weird it gets weird for a closed-minded Christian but if you read Genesis the right way it gets Makes Jesus so much more profound. Oh, this is the small stuff. Oh, it gets a lot weirder. But it makes Jesus. It makes understanding Jesus so much more profound. It makes understanding why the cross was such a big deal. You know, our Western, and I'm done because I got to go. But you know, our Western way of thinking makes the cross so small. Like it makes the cross so small. Like we don't, we don't get to fully appreciate the weight of the logos becoming flesh to dwell among us. The beholding of his glory, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. Like, in that 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 word becoming flesh and tabernacling among us, and understanding the climax of the instituting of the kingdom of God, the re-instituting of the kingdom of God by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the earth, that, it it doesn't fully add up when we have such a small perspective of what's happening in the spiritual realm. Such a small perspective, when we have such a small perspective as to what is happening in Genesis. And this is the fear, now I'm ranting, I'm sorry. I know I gave the message, I'm ranting. Um, But let me rant for a second. But this is also, I believe, the reason why we as Christians, we simply gloss over the weird, uncomfortable stuff in the Bible. And it's why our message doesn't have power anymore. When you read Genesis, there's a lot of weird, uncomfortable things. and You know what we do? We just gloss over it. Yeah, so the nephilim. Yeah, you know the angels knew the daughters of men, and they made nephilim. Okay. Anyway, let's keep moving. And then you read it, and you just, you you don't stop to pause and go the nephilim. What the heck is going on? Or to to read the conversation um, that we see that's transpired with Lamech or or Noah. Noah is a profoundly mystical um, Genesis 6 through Genesis 8 is mystical. It's profoundly mystical. And you know what we do? We ignore it. (laughs) We just ignore it. We say, you know what? Let's just keep on moving. (laughs) Let's just ignore that part and let's just keep on That's what we do, fam. That's what we That's what we do. So this is what I came to do today. I came to dismantle all of that. I came to tear all of that. Just tear it all down. Neanderthals, where can you find out? You can find it out in, um, anthropology books, study anthropology. If you study anthropology, you're going to learn a lot about Neanderthals. Study, um, evolutionary sociology. You'll learn a lot about Neanderthals. So what's the difference between human beings and Neanderthals? Neanderthals are Adamic races. Guys, it's so simple. Sometimes we make things so complicated. They had communication. They were able to do things. Um, um They were creative thinkers. Like they, they were incredibly intelligent. Invention of the wheel, like these are like the the invention of fire. Like, all, when did that happen, guys? Have you ever? I'm sorry, I'm ranting. I'm just gonna throw everything out here. I'm gonna throw it all out. I'll leave a hot mess, and we'll start putting it together on Monday. But guys, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought? Okay, at some point we had to invent the wheel. At some point we had to invent fire. Right. It would seem like fire has already been invented here. Right? When you see Cain and Abel, it would seem like they've already invented fire. It would seem like there's a certain level of development. These were civilizations. You understand, human civilizations are a fairly new thing in the true history in the in, in in the history of humanity fairly new thing when we talk about call they call it human history they they got it wrong but they call it human history i call it ademic history it's ademic history if we study ademic history there were there was a race of people who looked like humans, walked like humans, talked like humans, but were not human. Does that make sense? Man, it got weird. So it got weird. <laughs> there were pre. There were there were races of people that existed. OK, I know everybody's going to go to the font everywhere. Now, you guys are going to go to the Facebook group. You guys going to go all the way to the end and go straight here. It's like, yo, this guy got a real hooky here. That's fine. It's OK. It's all right. It's all right. I just speak truth. <laughs> Please don't delete this. I won't delete it. I'll post it right after. You understand? So, guys, we need to get out of this, this small thinking that we have. Yes, the soul and the spirit are two different things. People have made the soul and the spirit the same thing. No, the soul and the spirit are two different things, guys. Okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to rant for another like 10 minutes and then I'll call it. The soul and the spirit are two different things. They're not the same thing. That's why Hebrews chapter 4, he says that what? He divides the soul and the spirit. So the soul and the spirit are not the same thing. You understand? So when we're reading through Genesis, the wickedness and the judgment of men, this man, he has weapons. This man, Lamech, who's practicing um, um, vengeance, the vengeance for his father, for his, his, um, his ancestor, Cain. This man is killing people. He's got tools. Um, In verse 22, it talks about Zilla, who also bore two ball cane, an instructor of every castman in bronze and iron. These guys are already doing metallurgy, family. Does this sound crazy? Are you guys reading what I'm reading? Jubal, who played the harp and the flute. These guys are playing musical instruments. Adad bore Jubal. He was his father. His brother's name was Jubal like I'm reading all this and I'm seeing craftsmen engineers he was the father of those who dwelled in tents and had livestock you understand that in in anthropologic history the 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 nomadic tribes who carried livestock along with them that's 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 way later down anthropological history. Understand, like there's a lot of anthropods here. There's a lot of anthropods before Adam and Eve. (laughs) Golly, this is tough. We're in Genesis chapter 4. Enoch was more, guys. Either the Bible is what it is or it isn't. Again, this is weird. Uh, Herb I'll I'll have a conversation with y'all um, I used to think it was blasphemous for me to think that these things since Neanderthals and dinosaurs etc were never actually broken down for me yeah like come on guys we're reading the story there are huge gaps here there's major gaps yeah like wh- the dinosaurs like you know people are looking for footprints next to dinosaurs why did that have to happen We're talking about millennia upon millennia here. And these, these people that were reading the scriptures are fully developed by the time Noah, Noah's building an ark. Where did Noah figure out how to build an ark? I'm just, I'm just throwing, let me just throw this all out here, guys. How did Noah figure out how to build an ark? Well, he was inspired by God. Where did he get all these tools inspired by God? Yes. That's exactly right, he was inspired by God. We're talking way down the line here, guys. We're talking way down the line. There were Neanderthals, there were dinosaurs, They were, and this is the problem. And that's why a lot of Western Christians, we sometimes come off as ignorant. And we sometimes come off as simpletons, we come off as dumb because it sounds dumb. It's, it's not smart, family. It's not smart, right? Like, come on, guys. Science isn't lying. The Bible does not conflict with science. But the Bible is not a science book. Oh, I love it. I love when. um Okay, I'm ranting now. Wow. Um, I I love when, when people are trying to explain science with the Bible. That's not the purpose of the Bible. The Bible is not here to explain science. That's ignorant. That's dumb. And of course, we come off looking dumb because we're using a spiritual book to explain scientific things. No, we have science books to explain science. I've said this before, that science explains how it was done. The Bible explains who does it. Neither one conflicts with each other. So the moment that you begin to see Bible thumpers and Bible readers arguing with scientists, there's a problem here. Because now there's a conflict. There's a conflict. And yet the scriptures should never conflict with science, ever. The Bible should never disagree with science. Science should never be at odds with the Bible. And the moment we make science the enemy, we have we have misappropriated and misinterpreted the scripture. So you want to learn about Neanderthals? You want to learn about dinosaurs? You know, people get really comfortable when they say, I'm, I'm saying all kinds of things that would get people upset, but whatever. People get really, really uncomfortable when, you know, they'll say, well, what was the problem with the earth being millions of years old? Because the Bible says that the earth was created in six days. No, it didn't. The Bible says it was reorganized in six days. <laughs> oh, goodness. The Bible and science do not conflict. The Bible and science do not disagree. The Bible and science are working hand in hand. So yes. Can you can you find it in the book of Enoch? The book of Enoch is spiritual. It's also not scientific. It's a spiritual book. And it speaks of spiritual truth. Book of Enoch is all true by the way but it's not divine. It's not a divinely inspired text, but it's a spiritual text. Okay. The book of Enoch is a spiritual text. It's just not divinely inspired. If you read the book of Enoch, you'll get some sense into, you'll understand Genesis even a little bit more, but more importantly, you'll understand how to read Genesis. What about the evolutionary theory? What about it? Let me ask you a question, Jael. Um, When you see a plant, when you see a plant, let's back up. When you see a seed and you put the seed in the ground and all of a sudden the plant starts sprouting up and it's creating leaves, the leaves are, it's becoming bigger and bigger and it becomes this big, massive tree. Did the seed not evolve into a tree? It did. We call it growth. We call it whatever. Science tells us and explains to us how that seed became a tree. Here's a question. What made that seed grow? Science does not make a seed grow. Science does not make the earth rotate around the sun or revolve around the sun. Science does not make the earth rotate. Science doesn't make water boil. Science actually doesn't do a single thing. Science does nothing. What does science do? Science explains to us the things that it observes is happening. So then the question that we have to ask is then what makes that seed turn into a tree? Catching what I'm saying?